This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Uh, you know, I, I see that I see that statistic, and you know, obviously it's not a good statistic, but you know, quite honestly, Joe, it's about the football team. One guy doesn't win games around here, one guy doesn't lose games. So I don't I don't take it that way. I have a lot of confidence in Kirk. You know, I've talked to him you know I've talked to some other people about you know what how I can help him better and things that I can do moving forward and so um, yeah I, he's gonna come out and play really good next year football uh, so um, Matthew Collar has said a couple things about Kirk Cousins on these airwaves the last few days if you've been on our social media you, you can't miss it and people in Washington uh, didn't miss it so you've made now the media rounds in Washington, D.C., uh, people wanting to know your thoughts on Kirk Cousins uh, a year into his Minnesota career. They did catch the rant, yes. Um, and sorry if I left a handprint on the glass from <laughs> slapping it and yelling at Jonathan while I was talking about my frustration with Kirk Cousins. And, you know, I, I think when I listen back to it, the only thing that's probably unfair is the fake smile thing. Like, he might just smile that way. I don't know. But when he is talking after the loss, and it's the second time in his career in which that has happened, which he's gone into Week 17, and all he needs to do is show up. His defense plays well enough for him to win. In 2016, they gave up 19 points in a game, and he could only produce 10. And I, I look through all the games this year where it was right there to be had, and he didn't take it down six nothing in the fourth quarter to the Seattle Seahawks. What can you ask for more than that to to win? And thirteen to ten against Chicago, and like all these opportunities that were right there for him to take, and he didn't take any of them. And he walks to the podium and says, "Huh, it's only year one, guys." And you know, there's a there's a tone deafness that reminds me of Laquan Treadwell, with Laquan Treadwell saying that it was a great year for him. It's like. Which statement is more ludicrous? That hey, it was a great year for you or that this was just year one? He was correct that there are two numbers. I mean, uh, you know, I had a couple of drops, but overall I had a great year. Overall you had a great year. He so also like, correctly <laughs> said that there are two number one wide receivers in front of him. So that, that is correct. That, that, that is, that that is was true. my f- favorite part of clean out day, I think. But don't you think, oh, all right, so the Vikings are stuck here. Cousins is their quarterback. So I think what you need to do now, or what they need to do, is they need to regroup and come up with a plan to make him as successful as they possibly can. Because we now know there's no longer an excuse for, well, we thought he could do this, and he can't. He can't. He can do certain things. He's got some talent. But 
I think where you need to regroup now and hire a coordinator who can work with him, who can work around him at times, and who can maximize the God-given abilities that Cousins has and doesn't have. And I think that's where this has to start because that's not going to change. He's not going to change his stripes now. Now, I will say this. Public relations-wise, he could help himself if he doesn't get to the podium immediately after a what you deem to be a devastating season-ending defeat and smiles and thanks the press for the great work that they've done. Those things can all be tweaked. But I think the most important thing on the football field is you've got to now find somebody coordinator-wise who can work with him to maximize what he can do well. I agree, of course. That's where we're left. And and that's the unfortunate statement, though, is how can you work around your quarterback whose contract is taking up such a huge percentage of your salary cap? And this is where it becomes very difficult for year two, is if you run through these things, the rookie offensive lineman, let's take a look on Pro Football Focus of how they graded. Only one in the top 20, it was our friend Will Hernandez, who would have been able to be drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. Quinton Nelson was a top draft pick from day one. He's an unbelievable talent, and everybody knew he was going to change the Indianapolis Colts. But once again, here we are with the Vikings don't have one of those top draft picks. They cannot take the left tackle from Alabama, who's going to be a top pick, because they don't have that pick. So Will Hernandez is the only one who cracks the top 20 guards. All the rest of them are in Tom Compton range. I bet they'll get better. Frank Ragnow, I think, will be a great player. James Daniels could be a great player. But if we're expecting with the 18th overall pick for them to get a game-changing right guard, how often does that really happen? And then, so you say, okay, we'll go to the free agent market. All right, well, the two top guards on the free agent market are both over 30 years old, and if their teams are letting them go, there might be a reason for that because you're probably going to have to severely overpay for guys who are over 30, which is usually when NFL players start to fall off in their careers. And you're also talking about probably bidding wars for Ramon Foster and for... Uh, Rogers Saffold, the guy from the Rams, those are the two big names. There's no other big names. So we're in a situation just like we were with uh, Andrew Whitworth a few years ago where you're like, oh, just get Whitworth. He's an unbelievable player. Well, yeah, but somebody else got him. And if you don't get one of those two guys, then who are you plugging in? It's going to have to be Nick Easton again. And then a rookie? Is the offensive line fixed? You you have to bring back Riley Reef. You have to hope that Brian O'Neill takes big steps forward, but you don't know that's going to happen for sure. And you have to hope Pat Elfline gets better from where he was, which I think will happen, but you don't know for sure again. And so when you say, "Oh well, we've just got to you know put things around him. You've got to get an offensive coordinator, and you've got to get a guard, and then you'll be fine, and then it'll be fixed." Like, will it? Because that's a pretty tall task. Unless they have you know a great OTA session and come up with better ways to communicate <laughs> with each other through code words. Would code, be a, code, would be another yeah, idea. code words. And that was the most frustrating part of his press conference was just that <laughs> when you talk about to this fan base who has watched the Fon Diggs and Adam Thielen work with Sean Hill, made him better for a day, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Who else? Case Keenum, Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford showed up 10 days before the start of the season in week two at home on national television, beat the Green Bay Packers and threw for 300 yards. And I think it was 182 went to Stephon Diggs. Did they need chemistry? They need 19 weeks and three OTAs to get that chemistry together. Ah, uh, but guys, don't think so. this is him. This, I know, this is Kirk. I, know. I mean, he's not. We're we're, ta- we're talking about can a guy change? But he's what 30 now, 
And he's not going to change his stripes. The, o- the only question is, what can you do? And and I don't know. I mean, m- maybe you go so far as to hire a coordinator who, who you're convinced can just control him. I don't know. But the point is, you're stuck here. There's nothing that can be done. You're not going to cut him. You can't trade him. And so, so I get the frustration, and it's certainly in some ways founded, but it's now up to you to do as much as you can to, unfortunately, create the perfect environment for him as possible, and that's going to be difficult. And the only question is, and the answer might be no, can you do it? Well, I think Mike Zimmer has the answer, and it's in 2018, it doesn't sound great for an answer. It's run the ball. You have a really good running back. If Latavius Murray comes back, you have two good running backs. You might be able to make these guys run blockers. Riley Reef's best thing that he does is run blocking. Brian O'Neill is a very good run blocker. He's really athletic, and there's potential there for him to get to second levels and be quick and, and things like that. Elfline did very well with that in 2017. I think Easton does too. If you find someone who is very creative with how you run the football, your way of going about this with an $84 million quarterback could be run a lot, possess the ball a lot, take some deep shots when you can get them on play actions, and then try to win with defense. And that just doesn't sound super promising for winning anything. So, so Collar, from what Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com, Purple Podcast, from, from what you can tell, and Tom Pelissero is going to join us from NFL Network to give us a coaching uh, search update here. From what you can tell, how you watch a ton of film, you talk to people around the league, you talk to offensive line gurus around the league. How easy is it or difficult is it to scheme around not the worst offensive line in the league, because I think there's only so much you can do, but if you have, let's say, the 15th or 20th best offensive line in the league, how much can a great offensive mind, an offensive coordinator, a Sean McVay type, scheme around it to make the line look better, to make the quarterback look better, to get the offense to score 25, 30 points a game? I think we see the answer to that to some extent in Washington 2016 versus 2017, where in 2016 it's Cousins' best year. They still miss the playoffs and lose Week 17 because he no-shows, but he performed much better that season because they had a better offensive line, and when that got hurt... His quarterback went, rating went down six points, and there were a lot more sacks that he took because that's what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. He really lacks pocket presence. He doesn't feel pressure. When he does, he doesn't know how to step up or step away from it. And when I think about this question, about the scheme and all that sort of thing, now, now Cousins, the amount of pressure that he faced was immense. He also had an outrageous number of dropbacks, too. So when you see the PFF stuff, Oh, he had the most pressures in the league. All right, but he had like the second most dropbacks too. And he also held the ball longer than 14 other quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of catch to release or snap to release. So it wasn't like he was Sam Bradfording and just taking the ball and getting rid of it. He was holding onto the ball quite a bit there too. So those things having to scheme around are extremely difficult because a lot of times for those play callers, they can only design so much. And the rest has to be your guy makes a play. And this is what was missing for the entire season with Kirk Cousins against the good teams. It, you could scheme to beat the Dolphins. Everything they did to beat the Dolphins was scheme. He steps he steps up to the line of scrimmage. He's got Aldrick Robinson one-on-one with some nobody. Robinson runs by him. He's open in the end zone. There's nothing to that. But when it comes to pressure comes from one side, you have to step up. You have to make a play. You have to escape it. You have to find somebody on the run. These things just don't happen. And... There's only so much you can do as a play caller. I would say the same thing for for basketball. 
There's only so many ways Tibbs can try if he did, or whomever it might be, to get Andrew Wiggins to be a better player, more efficient player. All of a sudden, Greg Popovich's team is just okay. They're better than they would be if it was some dope off the street coaching them, but are they the best team in the league like they were with Duncan and Tony Parker? No, because there's only so many ways you can scheme LaMarcus Aldridge to score points. And I feel the same way about Cousins, that the best way ultimately might be build an offensive line that can run block, try to run 53% of the time, kill a lot of clock, stack up the defense again, bring Richardson back, bring Barr back, spend your money there, and try to win that way. And, th- and then uh, you think Kirk Cousins is going to be happy with that? This is where it's it's very hard to take all the puzzle pieces and put them together and say, oh yeah, we'll have a contender. Then Spielman's gone. If he if he misjudged this as bad as you're saying right now, that's going to be it. Like your career is hanging on this contract and this guy. And this was, and by the way, this was your final swing, I think, at, at the most important position probably in all of sports. And if you got it as wrong as you're saying, then he's gone. Yeah, well, but if, there's no surviving. But I don't know, like this is what's hard. I don't know if there was a great other option here. Because I know a lot of people, we even had a call like an hour ago. Well, Case Keenum, this game or this, okay. Rolling the dice on Case Keenum again, to me, he's not a better quarterback. The only benefit would have been, what would you have done with the extra $10 million in free agency? Would there have been an offensive lineman with that combination of better offensive lineman, free agent, and Case Keenum have been better, and Case Keenum can run away from defenders better than Kirk Cousins? I don't... I'm not going to say that that wins them a Super Bowl this year. I'm sorry. I'm not ready to go that far. The one I think about all the time is the Alex Smith trade. That Alex Smith ends yeah. up getting traded to Washington, and he wasn't playing well there. That was our and, trade. And, and, yeah. they, and they don't have good receivers anymore, and they don't have a yes. good offensive line. Last year got hurt again uh, for Alex Smith, but he was still winning games. And one of the reasons that he's always won regular season games is because the guy doesn't turn the ball over almost ever. He would have been a Mike Zimmer dream. Like, completes passes, always up there at a high completion percentage, and they would have been able to run the ball Mm -hmm. and win in the regular season, and maybe their defense would have been better um, toward toward the end. Maybe you don't have that blow-up game against Buffalo, or maybe you get one of those wins late in a game with Alex Smith, but okay, so they didn't pull that off. And then you're. it depends on how full hindsight you want to go, because... (laughs) The question would be, was it foreseeable that this team would underachieve with Kirk Cousins because of his immense shortcomings combined with what they have on the offensive line? I would say it was, since we talked about it all offseason. They're on the Purple Podcast. You can go find them. We did not see this team as a Super Bowl caliber team with Kirk Cousins because they didn't have the line that needed to protect him, and his biggest shortcoming is pocket presence. So what you would say is, if they had brought back Keenum and Bridgewater— Let's even throw in draft Lamar Jackson for the heck of it. Are you in a better spot? Yes. Yes. And do you miss the playoffs? Probably. Like you probably go nine and seven. But you, but eight, you feel great about the next right? two or three years. Exactly. Because yeah. you, you, you may have seen Teddy Bridgewater mm-hmm. beat Case Keenum for a job and then he's your starting quarterback. Or maybe that blows up, but you've still got this other exciting kid behind him. Like if there was a better option than this, I think that was the one that was in. Fire everybody. That's what we've come down to. Fire everybody. No, that is not at all what I'm saying. Matthew Collar's with (laughs) us from Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. Tom Pelissero from NFL Network joins us next. But first, the time. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500ESPN. 
Quick check on your traffic, and hopefully we don't have any distracted drivers out there right now. 35W southbound. Uh, we've got a crash in Bloomington's between 90th Street and 94th. Uh, it is a, causing about a six-minute delay. And this traffic update, by the way, brought to you by Duluth Trading Company. Football. All right. It's the football hour. Uh, the Vikings aren't playing football anymore, but other teams are playing football and trying to hire new coaches and things like that. Matthew Collar is with us. It's Mackie and Judd. And Tom Pelissero, our friend from NFL Network. Um, I saw uh, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out something the other day uh, ranking the head coach uh, openings. So his number one was the Browns and number two was the Packers. And I don't know if I fully disagree with that or not. Is the, is the Browns job, do you think, number one in terms of appealing? Or would you still say the Aaron Rodgers job is number one on that list or other? Well, I think that one thing you have to uh, take into consideration, certainly I, you know, I um, respect DJ's opinion on that because he knows the personnel. He knows those buildings. I believe he worked for the Browns at one point. Um, part of it you have to consider is, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is, uh, you know, probable, if not lock for the Hall of Fame, he's 35 years old. So if you're talking about five years with Aaron Rodgers and knowing the clock is ticking and you've got to win now and all the pressure that comes with that, as opposed to a 22, 23, 24-year-old Baker Mayfield, who you may have uh, a longer period of time of being good with, you know, it's not just a strict apples-to-apples type of comparison. And there's more to it than the quarterback position, too. But it is fascinating. It goes back to something that um, a prominent person who's involved in a lot of coaching searches told me the day after Mike McCarthy fi- got fired, which was, yeah, that's the best job, but it's also the most dangerous job. Because you don't get to grow into being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. If you are not in the playoffs, and you're going to have a lot of heat on you immediately. Tom, why did Matt Patricia survive in, in Detroit? I know it's one year, but my God, with all the stuff that went on with that team, how long are they going to need to see him? And how much, I guess more importantly, how much do they farther do you think he can come as a coach? Because this seemed like a complete gong show this past season. Well, I think that there's multiple things happening there. One is that he's gotten um, ripped apart by the media and had a very contentious relationship with the media. Sometimes those of us who live on Twitter and are in the media can become, you know, of the mind that that's what matters. Uh, I think the Matt has made abundantly clear that he does not believe that his public persona is what matters. He does not believe having a warm, fuzzy relationship with the media is what's important. Uh, I also think that if you look at where they came, especially on defense, particularly their defensive front and what they were doing against the run, they did get better. They got better the second half of the season. What they couldn't really account for was uh, you would trade Golden Tate, which, of course, is a controversial thing at the time there, certainly because they were, what, a game out of first place, and then you trade a, trade a receiver who's still valuable for you, but you get a third-round pick for him. But you trade him, and then immediately Marvin Jones gets hurt. You replace uh, Golden with Bruce Ellington. He gets hurt. Uh, on Johnson, your bright young running back, he gets hurt. I mean, by the end... I was there, what, it was that, a couple of weeks ago when they played the Vikings. There was just, there was no one there. You're, you're worried about Kenny Galladay and really nobody else on the offense. Um, you know, but defensively, again, they, they gave people some problems. They, everything with Bill Belichick's defenses, and as much as they're very game plan specific and they'll adapt to the opponent, the philosophically what you want to do is you want to set the edge. You want to keep all the runs inside. Don't let things get outside. And in the early going, the Lions were playing terrible run defense. They got Snacks Harrison. He was a big-time program-changer type of guy. They played a lot better there. I'm not saying that 
makes up for the fact that they were playing ugly football down the stretch and you know they could not muster anything offensively but there, there were more factors than one at play here and so you know when Martha Ford's leaving that game in week 17 says we finished on a good note she's not wrong they, they did get better the second half of last season even if the relationship between the head coach and the people who cover him on a daily basis did not. Tom, where do things stand with Hugh Jackson? Seems like there's some legitimate buzz with Hugh and the Minnesota Vikings, but also interest in him as a head coach again? Well, he had an interview with the Bengals, and what you have to understand with the Bengals is they want familiarity. They value people that they know, which is why you see Darren Simmons and Bill Lazor got interviews there, two in-house candidates. Vance Joseph is having an interview there can't remember if that was today or if it's tomorrow. I'm a little long. I'm in Philadelphia. You know, I'm doing like the combo coaching search stuff, but then, hey, go cover a game for four days. So <laughs> a little lost of what day of the week we're on here. But that, that's the Bengals. I mean, that's that's what they kind of – that's how they operate. Mike Brown does not like change. That's why part of why Marvin Lewis got 16 years there without a playoff win. Uh, but Marvin also, you know, is a guy who took a program that had no history of success and had the competitive – had him in the playoffs seven times in those uh, 16 seasons. But, you know, they, they put out some other requests. They requested Josh McDaniels. My colleague Mike Garoppolo reported that McDaniels turned that down. They requested a couple of the Rams assistants, Zach Taylor and Shane Waldron. But I, I got a text out of the blue from another, uh, another former Bengals player today just saying he will definitely hire someone he knows. It's Vance or it's Darren Simmons. That's just that's what Mike Brown does. That, that's why Hugh Jackson is in play there with regard to the – Vikings angle, I, I saw that Mike Zimmer said something along the lines of you're fishing in the wrong pond when he was uh, asked about hiring somebody he knows. I, I would just say this, from my understanding, it's certainly not as if this is a Hugh Jackson or bust type of situation for the Vikings. You do still have Kevin Stefanski in play. As I said on the NFL Network earlier today, my understanding is Zimmer and Stefanski will talk tomorrow, uh, begin to kind of work through this. Stefanski can you know, do whatever he wants starting on Tuesday. His most assistant contracts uh, expire 10 days after the season. Um, he potentially will have other options. Stavansky wants to call plays somewhere, if it's in Minnesota or someplace else. Uh, he's hoping to get that opportunity. There's also some other assistant coaches around the league who know Kirk Cousins have worked with him in his days in Washington or have worked with Kyle Shanahan. Um, some of those guys potentially could be in play here, too, depending on what direction Zimmer wants to go. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network with us. It's Mackie and Judd. Matthew Collar is here as well. Um, from what you can tell reading the tea leaves, talking with people, and just using your own uh, instincts, where do you think the Vikings are in their in their cycle here? Do you So they've, they've come back down the other side of the hill compared to where they were last year, obviously. Um, in, is your sense that it will continue to go this way in a competitive NFC, or is it just, well... Probably should have beat the Bills. Now you reload, get better offensive linemen, keep Mike Zimmer, hire a better offensive coordinator, and you push forward again. Well, the latter is the plan. There's no doubt about that. And when Mark and Ziggy Wilf stood up in that team meeting on Monday and said, we believe in our guys, thank everybody for their hard work, and said, we look forward to competing for a championship in 2019, um, there, there is, you know, of course, nobody wanted to finish that way in week 17. Everybody was disappointed and mad about what happened. But there was also an acknowledgement of some of the extenuating circumstances uh, that Jimmer brought up today in part. I mean, the, the death of Tony Sperano, you can't overlook that. It's not an excuse for anything that happened, but think about the ripple effects that come from that. That is the go-between, kind of a buffer between Mike Zimmer and a guy he doesn't know, John DiFilippo, the offensive coordinator. Sperano had a huge involvement in designing the running game, uh, which then, when he passes away, 
you're you're shuffling the staff. You're moving Clancy Brown over to the offensive line. You're moving Todd Downey to coach the tight ends. You are running, in essence, a different running scheme than you were before that is more attached to specifically concepts Steve Filippo wanted to do. You had no kind of checks and balances. And so Zimmer tries to give as much autonomy as he could to Steve Filippo in the early going. Besides, he doesn't like the direction it's going. It's not his philosophy. It becomes contentious by midseason behind the scenes. A lot of, you know, pulling there. Sperano may have been the guy who kind of settled some of that stuff down. Um, and, and all that's happening at a time that you've signed a quarterback for $84 million and has the pressure of the world on him. Um, you know, it's, it, it was, it was a challenge. They just, they never, you never felt the entire season, even when they were putting up some big yards and, and big points in the early, you know, first couple months of the season, you never felt like there was that consistency that you knew what they were and, and what they were going to do. You know, you're, you're throwing the ball 50 times in a game. It, it was working. It was working for a while, but was that going to be sustainable when Mike Zimmer wants to play to the defense? You know, there were, there were a lot of different things going on. Um, you know, keep an eye on Zimmer's contract situation. I know he, he kind of made the joke, or maybe it was a half a joke today, about, yeah, coach it out and then be a free agent, right? Uh, this will be a big year for everybody. Second year of Kirk Cousins' three-year deal. Uh, you've got a lot of defensive players who they're going to have to make decisions on in the offseason. Do they bring back Sheldon Richardson? Do they find the money somehow to pay Anthony Barr or guys like Everson Griffin long for Minnesota? Uh, they got a lot, sort of a lot of things out, but there's no question. Zimmer's here. You're paying Cousins all that money. You are playing to win a championship in 2019. Anything less than that is going to be a disappointment again. I, I was going to say, too, so if they don't reach that or if, if they have another disappointing year in 2019, are Spielman and Mike both gone in your mind, Tommy? I mean, it's, it, that'd be speculating probably based on you know information I don't have. But I would say this. That's okay. Coaches in the league can survive consecutive non-playoff seasons. You know, especially when you've been there as long as Mike Zimmer has. I mean, the thing you got to understand is the Wilfs really like Mike Zimmer, and they look around and go, "Who's going to be better than Mike Zimmer?" They they know what his track record is. They know what his record is in Minnesota. Um, they like him as a person. Uh, same thing with Rick Spielman, who you know has, has survived some mistakes. I mean, it's fair to say that in the draft. I mean, Christian Ponder. I don't know how many guys you know come back from that, um, but has continued to get opportunities. Has done a, a good job overall with that roster and finding some gems in the mid-rounds and and things like that. I mean, he's built one of the better and younger rosters uh, in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that any time if you miss the playoffs two years in a row, anywhere outside of Cincinnati anyway, you're going to be, you know, instantly uh, feet to the fire. And I don't expect it to be any different in Minnesota. The big thing is just, you know, at this stage in Mike Zimmer's career, where he is contract-wise, you know, just kind of what's the longevity of that and what do they do in this offseason? I think that'll be really telling. Do they do a one-year, two-year type of an extension to lock them up, or does Zimmer follow through and, and coach out the year? That's that's going to give you a little bit of an indicator of, you know, how much of a Super Bowl or bust type of thing this is in 2019. So, Tom, you're in Philadelphia where Judd Zolgad and I got stuck last year after the NFC Championship game and went to a random Walgreens and bought socks because we ran out of clothes. Um, well, that, that's a great coincidence because Judd and I did that. Uh, the game that got supposedly snowed out right. and ended up being played on a Tuesday, and it snowed like an inch, and the mayor had declared a state of emergency. And me and Judd, and I think Chip was with us, Judd, if I remember he correctly, was. we were wandering around literally buying like t shirts <laughs> and we did. socks and other things. Uh, just to be able to get by, and then Chip convinced us to check out of the uh, the Ritz Carlton or whatever we were in with the team downtown. 
to go stay at the Renaissance by the airport where... Uh, <laughs> Big mistake. A lot, of, a lot of stories. Uh, the one that probably would come... Well, two things that come to mind. One is that when you got in the hot tub and you turned it on, the whole thing shook. It was like a plastic thing stuck into the ground, and the whole thing, like you were rattling in it. And the second one was, we were up, oh, God, I, I, mean, I don't know what time of night it was or anything, but we were, we were at the bar a little on the later side, and I went in and opened up one of the stalls, and some guy had attempted to flush his tighty-whitey underwear down it, <laughs> and they were plugged in the back of the toilet while the thing is, like, to the brim. Like Judd Jud, Jud with the nervous laugh thing. right now. No, no, that wasn't oh, me. I'm a boxer guy. Not oh, a tidy whitey guy. Okay. Haven't been since third yeah. grade. The entire trip was one big pair of underwear being flushed down the toilet. <laughs> it was a comedy. <laughs> Wait, did you have a question, There, there was a question. <laughs> I was going to follow up. <laughs> I just felt like I just wanted to talk about that. That was a great trip. <laughs> so, uh, great trip. Nick Foles is the quarterback <laughs> there. Uh, uh, honestly, Tom, the people that you're talking to there... Like, are they starting to think Nick Nick Foles is just actually really good at this point? Well, I think there's some of that. You know, I think that the people, you know, I talked to Malcolm Jenkins about it for a while today, and you know, they they like you know, one thing about him, and you hear this about good quarterbacks is just he manages to kind of compartmentalize everything. You know, as, as Foles talked about yesterday, you know, you could make a playoff game a big thing, or you can make it a small thing, like a series of small things. Foles chooses to make these small things, and so when he makes mistakes in games, like it doesn't, it doesn't bother him. Like he's the first guy who's kind of getting people back into the, you know, into believing in it. And frankly, he's played really well. You know, I, I think that the one thing with Nick Foles is you look through his career, and maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's something more than that. But he plays his best when he's in a situation where it's like, well, we're just, you know, we're probably screwed here. You know, all right, the season's <laughs> over. Wentz tore his ACL last year. We're done now. Oh, Nick Foles comes in and wins the Super Bowl. And then this year he comes out with some pressure on him. You know, early on in the season, doesn't play his best. The Eagles don't play their best. Kind of reminiscent of when he, you know, remember he had those big games or big, you know, really good season under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. Ends up with the Rams, gets some money, didn't play well, almost quits football before Andy Reid and Matt Nagy and those guys dust him off in Kansas City. Um, but then comes back down the stretch here, and once again is is playing lights out. It just seems like when he's when he's not in his head, when he can make it small, uh, he's playing his best. So it's a long way of saying, you know, are we going to see Nick Foles getting twenty eight million dollars a year this year? I don't know. Nobody was offering him what they wanted, you know, in a potential trade last year. Um, but he's going to go somewhere, and he's going to play. Um, you know, you, you never know exactly what that's uh, what that's going to hold. Are we at the point where they're going to go, Nick Foles is plainly better than Carson Wentz, we're going to commit to Nick Foles? I don't get that sense at all. You know, they, they've also got a lot invested in Carson Wentz, who has just dealt with some really unfortunate injuries the past couple of years. Football. Tom Pellicero, uh, Chicago then this weekend? I will be on a late-night flight uh, tomorrow, and then we got a solid nine hours of live shots on Saturday, plus our full pregame show on Sunday. So you will see a lot of me, and thank God it's going to be like 40 degrees out there. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Bye, Tom. Tom. See ya. Thanks, guys. Bye. Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. The Cleveland Browns just tweeted. I love how teams do this now. Yeah, we just interviewed this guy for a head coaching uh-huh. job. They just interviewed Kevin Stefanski for a head coaching position. Head coaching position. 
Is that, was that out there before? Or did the Browns yeah, break was, that uh, news? Okay, that's tough to see. That's tough to see going from a position coach to an OC for three games and then a head coach. But it wouldn't be completely outrageous. Uh, Anthony Lynn, I believe, was a running backs coach before he was named the head coach. Dolphins, of right? The Chargers, now the Bills. Bills, okay, because um, he because Stefanski. They were supposed to talk to Stefanski on Monday, and then it got moved to today. And I think it got moved to today, possibly because because his contract is up with the Vikings on Tuesday. Tuesday and yeah. my guess is, if the Browns say hard pass, and then it doesn't work with the Vikings, that he's going to get an OC job somewhere. Tim Brewster was guess. a tight ends coach, became a head coach, and Mike Shanahan sold the Gopher, uh, the Gophers on him. Oh, he's a great. You'll love and him. And he was about to fire him. Yeah. Oh, you'll love him. Yeah. Take this guy. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. So long, losers. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Football. All right, let's let's circle back on uh, something we talked to Tom Pelissero about. Matthew Collar's hanging out with us here. It's Mackie and Judd. You're a head coach, a uh, head coach candidate, and uh, you you wind up with two job offers. So you've interviewed everywhere. You get two job offers. One from the Green Bay Packers, one from the Cleveland Browns. Equal money, equal term. Let's say it's, whatever, a four-year contract with either team. Which do you take? I would take the Cleveland Browns because I think Baker Mayfield can be an elite quarterback, and I think they have every earmark of being the Los Angeles Rams. Before the Rams were what they are right now, we thought they were a laughingstock. They were 7-9 and nine every year with Jeff Fisher. They had no offensive line. They had no quarterback solution. We went to a preseason game and watched Jared Goff get outplayed by Joel Stave once in, a, in the preseason. And yet now he is one of the top statistical quarterbacks with a great offense. And a, a major reason why they've been able to do that is a lot of cap space. Signed a superstar left tackle, signed multiple wide receivers to put them around Jared Goff. They built up their defense to have a lot of playmaking talent. They get a lot of interceptions. And John Dorsey's good too. The GM is he's he's, yeah in Cleveland he's very good. So when you look at the the bones right now of that team, you have a quarterback who looks like he could be a superstar. You have Miles Garrett who looks like he could be a superstar. An offensive line that is already in place. They need another receiver or two. But a defense, Denzel Ward is a star, I think, already, their cornerback. So you have these pieces. Jabril Peppers also showed some progress this year, too. You have these pieces in place that, given a few more free agent signings with all the cap room that they have, that they built over a number of years and have on a quarterback contract, you can stack that roster so high. It's really hard to see that with Green Bay. Like, What position does Green Bay not need? So Go ahead, Judd. Here's my question in Green Bay. If I take the job, who's my boss? Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it's yeah and yep. and the problem is that's probably true. And, and the team president right now is making the call on me as the coach. Oh, you've the got GM's a GM's well, not like Bill in on Alaska is your boss too. You got yeah, all, there's like you got two hundred thousand exactly, owners it's exactly. Great. But but what the thing that got the Packers on the right course in '91 or thereabouts was this: for years they had done all this crap. Right, the committee a committee made decisions and they brought in coaches, and it made no sense. And they finally went to Ron Wolf and hired him. And Ron Wolf said, okay, but I'm in charge. I'm the GM. I make all decisions on talent, coaching staff, blah, blah, blah. And it worked perfectly. Now they're going backwards. So I say Cleveland, based on the fact I know what my roster is, I know who my boss is, 
And I don't have, because in Green Bay, I walk in and now I got the team president telling me one thing and the GM saying something else. And then to your guys' point, the quarterback saying a third thing? That so, would be a pain in the so ass. I don't, I mean, honestly, like, I want Aaron Rodgers. If I, so I take the Green Bay job, but I also acknowledge that in the AFC right now, let's say you take the Browns job and it's not going to be a knee jerk two year thing if you don't win a playoff game or something. And, and, and the last coach, by the way, in Cleveland to coach, three full years or more was Romeo Crennel and he was hmm. fired in 2008. So it's been over a decade and they haven't Belichick given a coach more again. than two years. So they, they also yeah. had no quarterbacks during that time. Correct. Yep. And a hilarious group of quarterbacks actually. <laughs> and a number that failed and a number that were just baffling decisions. I mean, Brandon Whedon, Brady Quinn, like now they have their number one overall pick quarterback that they can build around. And after seeing him a number of times this year, I was very impressed with what he can do. And he can be a winning quarterback. So if there was a gap between giving me Brady Quinn and Aaron Rodgers, you'd say, okay, I'll just work around that and go with Rodgers. But when you're giving me a franchise quarterback at that age that I can also mold and work with, as opposed to a guy who is also stuck in his ways too, right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a guy who thinks he knows exactly what it takes to get the most out of Aaron Rodgers, even if he's wrong in some way. So I would want Aaron Rodgers' input. Aaron Rodgers, I think, is one of the three most talented quarterbacks to ever play. I don't think you can say he's the greatest until he's a little more accomplished. I think he needs at least another Super Bowl ring to become the greatest because Tom Brady has a handful of them. You might only get one chance to have an Aaron Rodgers-level quarterback as your guy if this is my only head coaching job. So I am taking the Packers' job. But in the AFC over the next two or three years, as your contract continues to go forward and Baker Mayfield continues to get better and the Browns roster continues to grow into its prime, the AFC sheds Phillip Rivers, it sheds Ben Roethlisberger, and yep. it sheds Tom Brady. Yep. Now, it doesn't shed Pat Mahomes and some other young, talented guys, but it sheds the three best quarterbacks of the last 15 years in that conference, not named Peyton Manning. That's right. I think it's the best job that would be out there. I mean, you might even make a case that it's one of the best jobs in all of football is to have the Den- or the uh, Cleveland Browns, as long as you put aside their history, a recent history, which I don't think matters a whole lot. The Saints were a joke for my entire life, and then all of a sudden they won because they got Drew Brees and yeah. they stacked up their roster. So I think that that's sort of the cycle franchises go through sometimes with the quarterbacks. But when you talk about the amount of cap space that they can spend over the next few years with Baker Mayfield, they have what four more years right. on his rookie contract. I mean, that, that's ideal. That is absolutely ideal. And with the Packers, what makes it really tough is you know, if this doesn't work fast, you're out. And I'm not sure that it's a fast working thing. Like they have, you can name the number of players that I like on one hand on that team. Correct. But that's why. The- the most important thing to me in these jobs is who's my boss. Cause like if I'm serving two people, not, not going to work. If I'm serving one guy, a GM, that's fine. Cause he, he is in it with me, but you're bought like your but owner I in want, Cleveland is a lunatic. Well, that's too, the, so it's the, Jimmy, like, the Jimmy Haslam thing would scare. That's the one thing that scares me. Now, if John Dorsey has an agreement with Haslam that he is not going to get involved now, then that's fine. But I was going to bring, that was the one thing that would scare me is if Jimmy Haslam gets involved again, all hell can break loose really quickly because yeah. he's done stupid things before. Yeah, the, the the point that Kyler made about the history of the franchise, it is hard to get over the fact that that Browns job hasn't been appealing in any way since since Bill Belichick had it since the <laughs> since the early 1990s. Um, but whether it's the New Orleans Saints being a disaster for multiple decades and then falling into a quarterback, all it really takes is 
some high draft picks to build up your roster, the right quarterback, and then the right coach, and all of a sudden, boom. It sounds easy on paper, but right. um, when I was a kid, too, for 15 years, the Cardinals were a disaster. They were yep. a joke. And then all of a sudden, Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald and a couple defenders, and, and they played in the Super they're Bowl. They're back to, to being a dumpster fire. Depending on They've Josh Rosen. Yeah. 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 Um, one more segment of the football hour here. Matthew Kyler's hanging out. You can find all of his stuff and Judd's postseason Vikings recaps and position recaps. What should the Vikings do going forward at 1500ESPN.com? The Purple Podcast, Sage Rosenfels, has been great on that all season long. Uh, what is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd what? on 1500 ESPN. Sure, that's, I got no problem with that. Free agent after that, right? <laughs> Going off of that, just with everything that you've been through and the stress and, and the losing weight, was there any part of you that considered retiring or, or anything like that? Or? No, I can't believe that somebody even threw that out there. But no, it was, it was totally 100%, um, what do they call it, hashtag fake news or something. Um, no, 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 I'm not a quitter. Football. It's the Mike Zimmer weight loss plan. Drop 15 pounds right now by having a lot of football stress on you. So what do you think? He, was it just a throwaway line when he said, when the question was at the beginning, it was the, the microphone wasn't uh, on the reporter there, but it was something like, hey, are you okay going into the last year of your contract? And he said, sure. Free agent after that. Was it just a throwaway one-liner, or do you think he's sitting there thinking, oh, my God? No, he was smiling. He was, okay. he was kidding about that. I'm certain that he wants a contract extension as soon as possible that would guarantee him a bunch of money. I mean, if you could, it can always happen where your quarterback gets hurt, and then Kyle Sloter starts games, and you go 3-13, and 13, right? I mean, you would never want that. And then they don't pick it up, and then no one hires you because you're too old, and, uh, and on and on and on and on. He wants to remain the head coach of the Vikings. I was... Really shocked when I saw Mike Florio throw that out there that Zimmer might quit. I, I don't know where that comes from. And Mike Zimmer is the guy who you think wants to die on the sideline. I mean, he just has always come across that way. There is a story about him breaking his arm and he couldn't play other forms of football other than to punt. So he just punted all the time in like a parking lot. I mean, the guy is like, is football. Yeah. Football. I mean, just like. I forget the exact story, but it's something like that. And it, so he is just so much into being full football all the time that you do wonder about his health, what, the, what he puts him through himself through each season. Um, but as far as walking away, that would have been one of the most shocking things I've seen. And we're here with the Vikings, so it's always weird. Yeah. If he doesn't have a, a good year in 2019, Collar, do you think he gets another head coaching job immediately? Or do you think he becomes a coordinator? Because, I mean, he's so good defensively. Yeah. And, and it's it's too bad when, when he fails as, as a head coach because his attributes on the defensive side of the football are so, so big and high. Uh, do you think that he just goes and becomes a coordinator or do, tries this again? Because I don't – there's a part of the head coaching job that I really, truly don't think – he enjoys on a daily basis. Yeah, it's, it's talking to us, I think. Um, well, he hates talking to the media. I think you're right about that. The um, Yet, he seems to want the media to like him, though. 
It's always been this sort of fun conflict of Mike Zimmer will say something terse, but then there'll be a pause and then he'll, okay, I'm going to go back and answer that question because I don't want you guys to be too mad at me. And <laughs> he's not, he's not just, like fully callous. Yeah. And it's heartless. It, it seems like he always wants to give an answer to the question, but is annoyed that he has to answer the question. And it's that internal conflict with him all the time, which is where you end up with some of those great quotes for him, I think. Um, but to your question, I guess I'm wondering about how hot the seat is, what it would have to look like. Does eight, seven, and one season again get him fired? Probably if I you think, miss the playoffs again. I think if Spielman's gone, he's gone. Yeah, I think they are a package. He's deal just tied to him at this point. Um, but you know, what's funny about this team is even though I feel with Kirk Cousins, it's going to be very, very difficult to ever stack your roster around him enough to make up for those big gaps in his game. When you look at sort of the landscape of the NFC, what they have in their roster, the potential for cap movement with different things, they should be a really good team next year. And if they aren't, or if they are a really good roster and they aren't a good team, then that could be the last year that Zimmer is the coach. And I would think that after that, a team would probably look at a lot through his history and say, this guy is so emotional. This could be really tough for us to handle. He's going to want a ton of power. He's going to want a ton of control. So let's, you know, sort of Wade Phillips him as a defensive mind who can work into his 70s and be great and not have the stress that goes along with being a head coach. That, to me, is probably his future after this. But how long that goes, I don't know. See, I I guess on behalf of the Vikings, I get a little worried that with Kirk Cousins and the contract in a salary cap league that you're in this group of five or six teams it's the it's, it's the Cleveland uh it's the, it's the Cincinnati Bengals zone where you've got your Andy Dalton but he's being paid like Aaron Rodgers sort mm-hmm. of and you can't make you you have to be so precise with the rest of your draft picks and free agents and cap management and coaching everything else has to be so good when you've got a quarterback jammed up that high salary wise I mean, in some ways, the the Baltimore Ravens have been in that category since they won the Super Bowl and they had to pay Joe Flacco. And now they're finally getting it out from underneath that because they drafted Lamar Jackson. And at the very least, he's cheaper to be mediocre. It is a place that not too many teams end up. Uh, In hockey, teams end up in this place all the time, as Wild fans would know, because they're one of them. But if you don't have Sidney Crosby, you usually get into the playoffs and then lose. And teams can be good year after year after year. The St. Louis Blues. And they just can never get over the hump. And yet they keep kind of coming back and then doing the same thing. In football, usually you give something a couple years. It doesn't work. Then you have to go backwards to go forwards. Cincinnati is the very rare example of a team that is hung around in the middle for a super, super long time. And in, in some ways, the Detroit Lions have been like that, too, with Matt Stafford, where they might have mixed an 11-win season in there, 9-7, and 9-7, and seven, make a playoff game, lose the playoff game. And that's where it does become extremely difficult when you sign him to that contract. And, and when we talk about Cousins... You, I've heard people so many times say, well, put aside the contract. You can't. You cannot put aside the contract in a salary cap league and just say, well, you know, he's this good or whatever. But right, but you can't fill in around him without that money that he's taking up. And it locks you into that position that's very, very difficult to get out of. Yeah. Uh, we recap the Write That Down season tomorrow. Oh, I can't wait for show. that. I, I got, got some hits. I, I got a, some hits. Uh, that pillow fight will be fun. <laughs> I have a Cleveland Browns 2020 Super Bowl on uh, Write That Down, so I'm waiting. 
Uh, you Somewhere. look like you might be in decent shape you take with the that, job. actually. I think it was 2019, though, so you better get oh, going. Oh, was it 2019? I think it was, yeah. Kevin, give it to Kevin. You and Baker Mayfield.